Have you ever dropped a conversational bomb and then just walked away? You know, like that bit on the EastEnders at virtually the end of every episode, you know, where someone says something and then everyone sort of pauses and then it goes doom, 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 doom. And you have to wait until the next time for what happens next. Well, this morning we're going to drop a sermon bomb and uh, then, as I said, uh, as was mentioned earlier, I'm going on holiday. Uh, well, I'm not, not on holiday now, uh, we'll be later today uh, going on holiday. So I'm going to drop the bomb and then walk away and leave it for everyone else to, to deal with. Uh, I'm going to be one of those tough guys who walks away from an explosion uh, and doesn't need to look back. I don't know if you ever, there's actually a song called Tough Guys Don't Look at Explosions. Uh, next time you watch an action film, notice if they're really tough, they don't even turn around to see if it's exploded. It's great. But this morning, one job is going to take us to some controversial topics. We're going to talk about the Antichrist, we're going to talk about end times, and we're also going to talk about the Holy Spirit uh, thrown in there uh, as well for good measure. But as we look at this together, we need to remember that John, in 1 John, is not trying to be controversial. He's trying to be helpful. That's why he's written this. He's trying to help the readers that he's written to. He believes that by telling them this, it will help them in their walk with Jesus. He believes that he will, it will do them and other believers good to find out about what he's talking about. So, as with every week, as John writes, he's got two groups of uh, people in mind as he writes. He's got a group of people who think that they're believers, but they're not, and a group of people who are unsure that they're believers, but actually are. And they're the people, really, that he's writing to as he writes this letter. He's going to challenge the false believer, and he's going to assure the unsure. And really here, he's going to deal with three subjects as he goes through the Antichrists, anointings, and abiding. And that's our three headings uh, this morning. In typical style, he deals with them a bit like a roundabout, a bit like a spiral. We're going to untangle that a little bit to look at it uh, together. So our first point is Antichrists. Let me read to you again 18 and 19 and then 22 and 23. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, so that it might be complained that they are not of us. And then now to 22. Who is the liar? that he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now if you were to take all the writings that have been written about the Antichrist uh, and his identity, you could probably easily fill this hall uh, with the books that have been written through the last 2,000 years about the identity of the Antichrist. But if you were to take everything that the Bible says about the Antichrist, then you'd have these two mentions here, and then you've got two more. And I can read them to you, they're only one verse long each. 1 John 4 verse 3, it's on the back of your notice sheets. And every spirit who does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world. There you go, that's number three. And then number four, 2 John 1 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So this one is the deceiver and the antichrist. There you go. That's everything that the Bible has to say uh, on the antichrist. It's already mentioned in, uh, uh, by John, and only in 1 and 2 John. 
Now, some people equate the Antichrist with a man of lawlessness in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and with Jesus' mention of false prophets and Christ, with, and also with the beasts out of the sea in Revelation. But in terms of the actual term, in terms of Antichrist, that's it. That's all the mentions that you get in the Bible. Writers down through history have tried to give us a bit more. I had a fun this week looking up all the different suggestions of the Antichrist uh, down through the last 2,000 years. Uh, many in the early church thought it was Nero, uh, so one of the Roman emperors who stood against the church and killed many Christians. Athanasius, a couple of generous le- generations later, thought that it was Arius, who was a heretic that said that Jesus was a created being. If you go a bit further on, Luther, Calvin, not my Calvin, uh, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Cranmer, Wesley, you name it, most Protestant professions of faith suggest the Pope. A few generations later, the popular idea was Napoleon, then Hitler. The most interesting slash bizarre idea I came across was the idea that in the 80s it was Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, the Russian guy, and that the, uh, he had a, a mark on his head, like a birthmark, and it suggested that that was the mark of the beast. Uh, you can read in, in some of these books that have been written. But it seems that every generation manages to find someone that they think fits the bill of the Antichrist. They seem to find someone that sort of they think is the person. And we'll come back to why that is in a minute. But first, what do we actually find out about the Antichrist from our passage? Well, four things. First of all, the Antichrist is a sign of the last hour. That's what we read there uh, in verse 18. It is the last hour, as you heard the Antichrist, when this is how we know. And that's what John leads with, isn't it? It's a sign of the last days. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because actually in the Bible, the coming of Christ was part of the last days. The coming of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was to do with the last days. And you can't really have the Antichrist if you haven't had the Christ, can you? So the coming of the Antichrist is linked with the coming of Christ. You can't be anti-someone who isn't there yet. But the last hour, the last days, weren't some far-off distant period for John. He actually writes, doesn't he, in verse 18... It is the last hour. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. For John, the last days, the last hour, is now. That's what he's saying. And his his proof of that, if you like, he said, look, there's antichrists. There's proof that we are now in the last hour. That's what he appeals to as his evidence. And biblically, the last days are the time between Jesus' first coming... Uh, when he uh, died and rose again, and his second coming. That's what we have as the last days, just a lot of days, really, over 2,000 years. And several times in the New Testament, writers talk about the last days, the last hour, as now. So the Antichrist, says John, is proof that they're right, we're living in the last days. So that's the first thing we find out. The second thing we find out is that there are more than one of them. John writes of Antichrists, plural, as well as antichrist. Indeed, he identifies them as a group of people that he knows. He's talking about a group of people who have left the church, this group that was setting out to deceive Christians in his day. And in fact, most of the allusions to the antichrist that we read, all four of them, um, can be taken in the plural. So, uh, for example, verse 22 who is the liar? He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father or the Son. You could translate it as anyone. So 1 John uh, 2.22 in the NIV says this, 
who is the liar, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the, the Antichrist, denying the Father of the Son. So it's not necessarily pointing to one person, he's got it in the plural, more than one Antichrist. So strictly speaking, in John's mind, it doesn't have to be just one person with that title. He's actually thinking of several people. In fact, we've got many people in his day. So that's the second thing, it's in plural. The third thing is that they separate from true Christians. John tells us that the group that he's talking about as antichrists started off in the church. So in verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would have continued with us. So John says this group that he's talking about started off in the church. But they didn't stay there. They couldn't stay there. Thinking back to previous weeks when we talked about fellowship, they were not on the same page as each other. They couldn't have fellowship with each other. There was something fundamental that they didn't share that meant in the end they had to go their separate ways. But notice here that John actually talks about that as a positive thing. He says it has now become plain, actually, that they're a different group, that we're not together, that we're not in fellowship. And that's a good thing in John's mind. Often we think of splits, and they often are very sad, aren't they? But he's saying it's splitters, and now it's clear that we're not together, that we're not in fellowship with each other. There's an old saying, isn't there? Doctrine divides, love unites. And you know that's right, but not quite in the way that it's normally meant. Uh, when it was said, really, it's a plea to ditch doctrine and concentrate on love. Now, John would very much agree with concentrating on love from what we see. I mean, John is that, that commandment again, love one another, love one another, love one another. But he wouldn't want us to ditch the doctrine, because actually that's of crucial importance too. And John is saying here it can make the difference between whether you're a believer, a true Christian, or not. Doctrine does divide, but John is okay with that. Better to be clear by clear teaching that some are on the outside than to be silent or ambiguous and leave it all a bit fuzzy. To stay silent for the sake of unity, but then it turns out actually at the end that half of you were believers and nobody knew. So to stay silent so that people who are walking in never hear the gospel, never hear the doctrine that they need to be saved, well, that's not really love, is it? If we're talking about concentrating on love, actually people need to hear the truth, don't they? It doesn't sound very loving to leave them in darkness. And notice as well that Jesus never shied away from the doctrine, did he? He went around teaching, and he was the most loving person that ever lived. But does that mean we're just to divide over any doctrine, any teaching? Well, no, John has some very, something very serious in mind. See, the last thing we find out is that Antichrist deny the Father and the Son. They deny God. Now, that sounds pretty serious to me as, as things go. You know, as things to have as your sort of criteria, that sounds a bit crazy. How do they do that? Have a look at verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The way that they deny God is that they deny the Son. They deny the Son so they don't have the Father either. What John is saying here is that you can't have God the Father without God the Son. Now I get very suspicious of, of celebrities and politicians and even theologians 
We talk a lot about God, but not a lot about Jesus. It's sort of acceptable a little bit, isn't it, to talk about God and say you believe in God. But say you believe in Jesus, say you believe in his resurrection, say that you believe that he really was God in a body. Actually, things get a bit more complicated, don't they? Actually, people start to ridicule you a bit more. But you can't have God the Father without God the Son. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to be people who are Christians, who talk about Christ. But these guys claim to be Christians, right? How do they deny the Son if actually they're going around saying, well, we're we're Christians? Well, John explains more later on in his letter in 1 John 4, 2 and 3. Again, you've got it on the back of your notice sheets. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God, uh, sorry, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. The idea of Jesus not coming in the flesh seems to be a big idea when it comes to this Antichrist idea, these Antichrists of John's day. It's the same group that's mentioned in 2 John that deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. Now, nobody's exactly sure who uh, this group is that he's targeting. Again, you could probably fill a room with all the different theories. But there were some people at the time who might fit the bill. So, for example, there was a group that said that Jesus only appeared to be human, but he wasn't really. It was just an illusion. So you'd sort of meet him. He was God, definitely God, but he wasn't a man. You couldn't really touch him or, or feel him. There was a group that said that Jesus was only temporarily human, that he never rose physically, only spiritually. So he sort of was human for a while, but he's not human now. Actually, he's gone back to just being spirit. And there was a group that said that Jesus only became the Christ and the Son of God at his baptism, and then he stopped being the Son of God before he died on the cross. If you want the long, they all have long words for like what those things are. You can ask me afterwards if you want the long words. But those were some of the things that people were saying around the time, and certainly were saying afterwards. So it's not that they didn't believe that Jesus was real. They could pass that test. Remember we had the historical test a few weeks ago that John had put forward you must believe that Jesus is historical. They could pass that. But they didn't believe that he was who the Bible says he is. It's who they thought he was that was the problem. We said in John that there are four tests of a true believer. Well, this is John's fourth one. The Jesus test. Who do you say Jesus is? Sometimes called the doctrinal test as well. Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Almighty God made man. Do you believe the eternal Son of God took on a body and entered into our world as the man called Jesus of Nazareth? Because if the answer is no, then you're not a Christian, says John. It's as simple as that. You're not a genuine believer. And that suddenly makes those long words a lot more relevant, doesn't it? A lot less than academic. Because if we're following one of those, then we're not a believer, says John. So we don't want to divide at every opportunity. That's not what John is putting forwards. It's not something we're to relish and look to do. But when it comes to something fundamental, like the identity of Jesus, which is so fundamental to what we have, then actually it means we have to, doesn't it? 
when it's so fundamental. We have to be sure that we're not falling into error. Because there will be plenty of groups, there's still plenty of groups today that will tell you that Jesus is someone other than God in the flesh. And we need to be ready, don't we, to explain why we believe that is. We need to get it clear in our own heads what we think about who Jesus is. Don't we? If you want some help on that, then you could Google the Chalcedonian Crete when you get home. If you want to know how to spell it, you can ask me afterwards. I always get uh, confused on how to spell that one. But that was how the early church got their heads around this issue. It's not infallible like the Bible is, but they started to think through um, what Jesus is like in the face of error. Alternatively, pick up your Bible and have a read. Have a look at John's Gospel and what John tells us about who Jesus is and see what you find. Want to read it with a friend and look for that. Who is Jesus? Because it's such a big thing, actually. It makes the difference between whether you're a Christian or not. But coming back to the big picture, we're talking about Antichrist, aren't we? Coming back to the big picture, Antichrist, in John's mind, are people who deny that Jesus is God-made man. And generally are those that are teaching others to do the same. Who claim to be Christians, but bizarrely don't have Christ. In fact, they are anti-Christ, says John. And that's why so many people fit the bill down through history. Antichrist do appear in every generation, and have done since the first century. Now, whether there will be some great figure at the end of history who fits the bill par excellence, if you like, to be honest, I'm agnostic on that, maybe. But my worry is that the church globally, we spend too much time preparing for the coming of the Antichrist, and not enough time preparing for the coming of Christ. You see, I believe Jesus could come back tomorrow. In fact, I believe he could come back this afternoon, I might not get my holiday. You never know. But for that to be true, then the Antichrist must already have come. But John says exactly that, doesn't he? They've already come into the world. That's exactly what he says. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So should we be concerned with the Antichrist? Well, of course we should. John wants to tell us about the Antichrist. But it has more to do with theology than international diplomacy. If you remember nothing else, remember that Antichrists are Antichrist. That's the clue. They're against Christ. They deny the Son, and so don't have the Father. That is the big deal. That's what John wants us to avoid, whatever name we give them. But they deny the Father. They deny the Son. What about the Holy Spirit? They deny him as well. Well, John picks this up next. The anointing. Let me read to you verses 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. John wants his readers to know that although he's including them in in this letter, he's not including them in the group that deny the Father and the Son. If they've been with him so far, if they've been following him in the letter and saying yes, then they do have fellowship with him. He writes this so that they can enjoy that fellowship together. He's saying that they have an anointing from Christ, the Holy One. The anointing lives in them and teaches them and is true in verse 27. 
The anointing is another way of John talking about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who lives inside believers, who teaches believers, who is true just as the Father and the Son are true. Indeed, John calls him the Spirit of Truth, doesn't he? So that fits with what we're told in these verses. Indeed, the anointed Jesus received at his baptism, uh, what he received was uh, the Holy Spirit. That was what he was anointed with, if you like. And it's he who now anoints us with the Spirit when we become believers. So there's a sort of play on words going on in the passage that we sort of miss in English. It's like saying, you know, the anointed one has anointed believers in the context of this anti-anointed one. It's all the same word in, in Greek. And that's probably one of the reasons that he uses the term anointing rather than uh, Holy Spirit. The other reason is that it's likely that these false teachers, these antichrists, as John calls them, taught of a special anointing and a special knowledge that he needed to have. You still get this idea now. So if you go to Bethel Church, not us in olden days, but Bethel Church, Reading in America, um, you've got some people who practice things called grave sucking. If you don't believe me, go Google it when you get home. Where you go and lie on the graves of notable Christians or preachers to get a portion of their special anointing from them. It's one of the reasons why we changed our name, because if you could go back home, that's the sort of thing that you get. But John says, no. You don't need this special anointing. You already have an anointing from God, the Holy Spirit, the true anointing, who teaches us the truth. He says we have no need to chase after these special anointings, because actually we have the one that counts. God himself living inside us, abiding inside us. So we've got no need to go after chasing secret, hidden knowledge, because the Spirit teaches us all that we need to know. And really, what more could you ask for? What more could you ask to be living inside you than God himself, the Holy Spirit, living inside us? And it's he who makes his word to come alive in our hearts, who takes words from a page into an encounter with the living God. You see, they want to talk about knowledge of God. Well, the Spirit is where we get our knowledge of God from. Now, sometimes we're scared to talk about the Holy Spirit sometimes in our circles, I think, because of the things that we disagree about him. And that's a real shame, isn't it? Because actually, even the things that we all agree on are incredible, aren't they? The Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us in all truth, so that we have no need for anyone to teach us, says John. Now, we need to think about what John is saying here. He's not saying that, really, I should have gone on holiday last week or, you know, last year, because there's no need for teachers. In fact, John is writing them this letter to teach them, isn't he? So there's a sense in which it's helpful to have teachers. But what John is saying is that we don't need something more than what we have. We don't need a guru, we don't need a pope, we don't need a special prophet or an organisation to tell us what's true. We already have enough. And really the mark of so many of these antichrist groups is that they'll have one figure who gets to decide the truth for you. And they often claim, don't they, to speak for God. God has told me this, the Spirit told me that, and you must believe it. But if we have God's word, and we have God's Spirit, then we have enough to know the truth. You've got enough to discern truth from error. We don't need an edict from the Pope or a special word from the Lord to know whether something is true or not. Why did I say the Bible and the Spirit when the passage doesn't? 
Well, because the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? The Spirit is the divine author of Scripture. If Christ is the Word, the Spirit is the breath. And so often those antichrist groups want to take us away from the Word, don't they? And focus on what they say and they claim that God is saying. Anyone can claim that the Spirit is saying something to them, can't they? But does it agree with what he's already said, what he's already got written down in the pages of the Bible? If it doesn't, then it may be a Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit that's speaking. So what does the Spirit want to teach us? Well, in verse 27, it's to abide in him. That's what it says down in verse 27. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. Him there is Jesus, Jesus Christ. We're told we're going to wait for his appearing in the next verse. We're to abide with, stay with, live with, live in Jesus. That's what the Spirit wants to teach us. Stick with Jesus. And that's our last heading. The last two are a bit shorter than that first heading, because that's uh, just a bit more thinking. Abiding. Have a look at verses 24 and 25. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. We're called to abide in Jesus. Now Richard's going to show us a bit more what that looks like because John picks that up in the next section. But here he tells us that we're to abide in what we've heard from the beginning. We're to let that abide in us. And again, you see here how this fits with what he's been saying. He's not saying chase after a new anointing or new special knowledge. He's not calling us to move on from Christ and the gospel onto other things. What he's saying here is stay in it. Let those things make their home in you, their abode. And we are to make our home in them. They are to make their home in us and we are to make our home in them. It's very sort of like... Mixed by John loves it, I struggle to get my head around it, but mm-hmm. abide in it, let it abide in you. Really what he's talking about is to know Christ better, to love him better, to live for him better. The battle really in the Christian life is not to advance, so to speak, but to stand, to stay. In a world that's always moving and wants to move us on to other things and shake us and shake our faith, We're to abide, we're to stay. And the Spirit cares that we do this. The Spirit wants us to abide. The Spirit cares about that doctrine. He wants us to stay in what we've heard. He wants us to keep with the doctrine that they heard from the beginning. Not something new, but what they've heard right from the start. Because if they move away from what they've heard, if they move away from the gospel of the God-man Jesus, then they move outside of Christianity. They move away from the truth. You see, the biggest danger for the church is not a one-world government led by a demonic tyrant. The biggest danger is that we move away from Christ and move on to other things. The biggest danger is that we end up with churches full of people who think that they know Christ, but have never actually really heard about him. Who've been deceived by leaders who have downplayed doctrine and have encouraged their people to chase after the latest new thing be it anointings or blessings or secret knowledge or gurus or whatever, but who leave Christ far behind. They are anti-Christ, says John. 
He wants us to be aware of that. He doesn't want us to be deceived. See, if Antichrist is just a figure at the end of history, then this is irrelevant to us, isn't it? And has been for 2,000 years. But John thinks that this counts now. This is something we need to be aware of now. And can you see how it's relevant for today? I mean, it's not like we have major movements in the world, is it, who deny that Christ is uh, God come in the flesh, is it? Oh, no, wait. You've got Unitarians, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christadelphians, I could go on. It's not like we have churches that tell people doctrine is too hard and just focus on experiences or whatever's new. No, wait, that's exactly the world we live in, isn't it? Everybody's into the latest new thing. You see, 2,000 years have passed, but the problems are still the same, aren't they, really? Because human beings are still the same. The pressure is to move from what we've heard at the start. So what's the answer? Abide, says John. Abide in what you've heard from the beginning. Don't go chasing after the new stuff. Listen to the old, old stories that him goes. Abide, says John, and you'll abide in the Father and the Son. You'll have fellowship with God, real fellowship with God. Abide, says John, and this is the promise. Eternal life. People were saying that in the first century to John. They were already telling him that his views were out of date and we move on to something else. Abide, says John. Stick with the truth. We don't need Christianity 2.1. We don't need Jesus plus. We just need Jesus. And there is my sermon bomb. The Antichrist is already here. And we'll find them on your road. You never know. The anointing is not some weird thing, but rather it's the wonderful Holy Spirit who guides us in all truth. And so what we must do is abide in what he has taught us. Stick to the gospel. Stick to Jesus. And may God grant us this week the strength to do that and to spot truth from error and live for him this week. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us this week to live for you. Father, keep us close to the gospel. Keep us close to Jesus. Father, if there are areas in our, our heads that we're not clear on who Jesus is, Father, pray that we take that time this week to find out. Father, we pray that you'd help us to abide in him. And that, Father, you'd help us never to move on from the gospel, but to stick to Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.